0: Global Broadcasting Networks presents Coach Talk Radio. Create the time, money, and lifestyle you want with tips, tricks, and techniques that get you started today from some of the best Internet minds in the business. Now here are your hosts, Internet brand strategist Sandra Beck,
1: Hey guys and dolls, this is Sandra Beck and my lovely co-host today is going to be Mitchell Weitzman. Now he wrote a great book called The Rose Temple. You're going to want to check it out. It's full of mystery, intrigue. It's got a spiritual aspect. It's got a heart-tugging aspect. Grab a box of Kleenex. Give yourself some time because you're going to start reading this like I did. I read, I read it on a plane from New York to L.A. I started reading it in, in L.A., and or i'm sorry l.a. to new york i started reading it five hours later i am still reading it plowing my way through i couldn't put it down welcome to the show mitchell weitzman
0: Thank you, Sandra. It's a pleasure to be here with you.
1: So exciting. I always love to have authors on the show with me because here on Coach Talk Radio, we've we've just uh, been working on this writer series, which we, we've talked about plot and character. And I know your book is semi-autobiographical about your mother's story, and it really does a good job teaching us about either tolerance or intolerance, depending on the way you look at it. But I want to ask you first, what's your background and why write this book? Like, I think most of our listeners dream of writing a book, at least they write in to tell me they dream of writing a book. Can you tell me a little bit about that backstory and who you are?
0: Yeah, so I think um, I was born with um, sort of a big brick on my shoulder, a big weight on my shoulder. Um, my parents, you know, spoke with with thick accents um, and, um, I, I knew, uh, even when I was a young child, I knew a little bit about, uh, their history. They, um, they both survived the, the Holocaust, the war from, uh, you know, 1939 through 45, um, each with a very different story. Um, and for as long as I can remember, I just asked the question, why, why, why did this happen? Uh, and, you know, and I had this sense of, of, of fighting injustice, that I needed to fight injustice. And so um, I was always, um, always loved writing. And so um, even as a kid, I would be writing um, stories um, and poetry um, with a lot of the themes that I'm writing uh, today. Um, so fast forward many years uh after and i went to a uh, I went to a very small orthodox jewish day school um and um, that's important for reasons i'll explain later uh you know I was with uh, a lot of first of all i wasn't orthodox so so <laughs> uh, um, so I was already a little bit, uh, a little bit out, of, out of place there. There was, there was me and another student. He was also a child of Holocaust survivors. We were the only non-Orthodox uh, kids in, in, in this very small class of Orthodox Jews. I think both of our parents sent us there to give us the background, um, even though, uh, given the hard times that they had had, they were not able to maintain all the traditions, but they wanted us to learn some of the background. So I grew up in... Um, Sort of a very small, sheltered environment. Um, I ended up going to a big university. I ended up going to New York University. Um, wow! Take, take, take a little, take a little guy from the suburbs of Michigan, which is where I grew up, and uh, throw me on a subway in 1980s New York. That was quite a shock. And uh, New York in the 1980s was not New York today. <laughs> it was it was it was a, it was a little more dangerous back then. Um, and so it was quite quite the culture shock. Um and then put me at NYU um, in Greenwich Village with all these different kinds of people. It was uh, if they wanted to wake me up, they sure did.
1: <laughs> well, and even worse, you were a Tigers fan in like Yankees and Mets country. That
0: that that is, and that was before the internet, so I couldn't get my uh, Detroit Free Press very easily. It was very oh. <laughs> <laughs> that was very that was very difficult. So so anyways, so I um so so I went to NYU and um, I studied I studied pre law there. Uh, and eventually went to law school at George Washington University in Washington D.C. Um, and I've lived in the uh, the D.C. area pretty much ever since. So 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 that's my that's my background. Along the way, um, as I said, I, I sort of had this story in me, uh, my my parents' story. I always had that in me. Um, a lot of a lot of uh, Holocaust uh, books, novels, and nonfiction uh, came out in the intervening years. Um, but there was something about my mother in particular that emerged, that that struck me as very different. Um, something that actually had had to get out, um, and I'll, I can tell you a little bit about her story, um, and um, and then kind of get into where where I where I came in. So she uh, she was uh, uh, um, born in 1940 in this little town in Poland called Bochnia. Uh, near a uh, major public city of, of Krakow. And she was given away by her parents when she was only two years old in an attempt to save her. Um, a Catholic couple, couple adopted her. Uh, they gave her a new name, they gave her a new identity and were raising her as a Catholic girl. Um, after the war, a relative came uh, to town looking for this girl. Her parents, unfortunately, passed in the, in the Holocaust but a relative came looking for the girl and while doing so revealed this big secret that my mother was not a Jewish girl. She was, I mean, not a, a Catholic girl. She was a Jewish girl. Um, and she was, there was a, uh, a landlord who lived in the comp in the uh, unit below them that had given her candy every day. Uh, and, uh, everything was fine and good, uh, except he learned that she was Jewish. In fact, this cute little girl that he adored was Jewish. Uh, the next time he saw her, she was playing with a doll um, on her balcony. He took a brick, uh, cocked his hand, and, and threw it as hard as he can at her, uh, barely missing her and shattering the glass. Uh, my mother was, of course, in tears. Um, and uh, she said, what did I do? <laughs> what, what did I do wrong? went to her mother and said, this man's calling me a Jew. What does that mean? Uh, they had to explain that to her. Um, and uh, eventually she, she, um, she remained in Poland with this family uh, until her early adulthood as a practicing Catholic who was born Jewish. What did that mean for her? Um, she didn't know what Jewish was. She, she knew that uh, as far as she knew, Jews must have done something bad. Um, because most of them were destroyed, uh, but she went to school and um, and uh, taunted by some of her classmates, and uh, and continually taunted by this landlord, who after the brick uh, managed to to uh, throw uh, or uh, put knives close to her. Um, she was incredibly resilient then, um, and I, I was I was I was amazed uh, at her story then. But what further amazed me. Was uh, you know many years later, she she uh, transitioned back into Judaism, and she looked back on her life and thought, you know, what lessons what lessons can be learned from here, um, and what messages are there for the world? And I was amazed that she went back and was able to look at situations uh, in a in a different light. Um, at that point, uh, someone who I'd simply thought of as you know a typical mother. Um, You know, put on your coat when it's cold outside. Uh, Do your homework. All the typical things that a mother might do. um, I looked at her as uh, an incredible woman, a woman that uh, I had to write about, a woman whose story needed to be told. Um, And that's where, um, that was about 20 years ago, I began working on this book, The Rose Temple.
1: Well, and I think, you know, that's such a cool story because it's your story. You know, it's not something that you dreamed up. And there might be people listening today, you know, dreaming of writing a book and, and you know, having that, that experience or having that feather in their cap professionally. Um, what was it like writing with your mother? Like that, that. You know, and I've met your mother. Don't get me wrong. I think she's amazing. You know, she's like this tiny little slip of paper. I felt like Blondzilla sitting across from her. You know, she's like this teeny little woman with just immense power. And here you are, you know, a lawyer and a well-educated man and a great big guy. And then there's this little peanut that you're working with who's as powerful like as both of us combined, honestly. Um, You know, how was that?
0: So there's many different aspects to it. Um, one of the great joys was I learned, uh, I learned parts about her history that I simply didn't know. Um, that she just didn't talk about much. I, I didn't know much about her, her living as a Catholic. I only knew her as a traditional Jewish mother doing traditional Jewish things. Um, so I learned about that aspect of her. Some things really shocked me. Um, I had always grown up with the impression that my mother had, had you know, she had to face a, a hostile world outside right? In school and in her neighborhood uh, and with her landlord. But I didn't know that she also faced some troubles inside her house. Um, her stepfather, as she got older, um, made advances towards her. I was completely shocked. I remember when I heard that, I said, I, I want to just throw this book out the door. <laughs> what, what, what hope? This is about midway through our writing. I said, I can't believe this. I cannot believe I didn't know this. I can't believe you went through this. Um, it just made me tremendously angry. Um, Oh,
1: all of us. I want to reach through history, like, and choke the life out of them. Um, that, and, and, but you didn't want the book to be about that. Like, that's where Hollywood would sensationalize, like, that one fact. You just kind of, you, you acknowledged it in a very genteel and respectful way, and you kind of skated over it, because that wasn't the story.
0: That's right, and, and, um. And and when we come back, I can talk more about the other part of the book, the spiritual part of the book, that really had me on the floor um, and took me, um, as as we like to say, it took me into another dimension. So I'd love to talk about that when we come back.
1: Absolutely. Okay, so we're visiting today with Mitchell Weitzman. The book of the hour is called The Rose Temple. You can find it on Amazon. You can find it at therosetemple.com. Now, the Author's name is spelled Weitzman W E I T Z Z is in dead sorry Z M A N Mitchell Weitzman he's very much alive he's not dead um, and, you know, this is just such a great book. It's so entertaining. Like I said, I, you know, I read it almost cover to cover and, and, you know, it was one of those things that made me laugh, made me cry, made me think, made me wonder. And, you know, it's very hard for a book to do that. And I have to tell you guys, this isn't a thick, tough read. You know, this isn't like 500 pages and, and, you know, like little tiny print and scary. It's really organized in a delightful way i was really surprised because when i heard that it had a holocaust base to it i expected something entirely different than what it was so take a uh get get yourself a copy and 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 read it because you won't be sorry uh we're visiting today with author Mitchell Weissman. That book is The Rose Temple, -temple therosetemple.com. When we come back from the break, we're going to talk more about his writing experience and then what he learned about tolerance or intolerance along the way. We'll be back after the break.
2: Kelly recently broke the record for the longest consecutive time spent in space, with over 300 days and counting. Astronaut Kelly says he doesn't really experience the molly grubs or depression, but is fully aware of the dangers of being in space. In other words, he understands the gravity of the situation. Speaking of gravity, in space, your arms don't hang by your side like they do here on Earth. So, astronaut Kelly says, he tucks them inside his sleeping bag at night so they don't float in front of him. Hey, isn't it always night in space? He also says that he doesn't get the same satisfaction of laying down to sleep like people on Earth. At least there's no chance of Matt to to lip-ia. That's getting up on the wrong side of the bed. It's Words You I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your Words You Never Heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Word.
0: It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond.
3: If you exercise vigorously on a regular basis or are a competitive athlete, chances are you will have to deal with an injury at some point. Too often, the tendency is to stop exercising once an injury occurs, but doing so can really set your fitness level back, so it's important to remain physically active while your injury heals. Harvard Health Publications recommends that even if you have an injury, you should continue being physically active. If your injury is in your arm or upper body, you can still continue with aerobics and lower body strength exercises. If your injury is in your lower body, like your knee or hip, aerobics may not be possible, but you can lift weights with your upper body. While the injury is healing, be sure to keep up with daily stretching so that your body does not get tight. Follow the physical therapist's instructions and don't do anything that would hinder the healing. I'm Annette Hammond.
1: Dallas, this is Sandra Beck, and we're visiting today with Mitchell Weitzman, and he wrote a book called The Rose Temple, and he did this project with his mother, spanned 20 years, and you were working full-time while you did this, raising two kids and keeping your marriage together. That is no small feat.
0: Uh, it was not a small feat, <laughs> absolutely. It really, it was something else. So, you know, in my, in my day job, I'm a lawyer. Um, and I'm looking at, you know, I'm looking at very concrete things. Um, uh, law is, is, is obviously concrete. Um, and at the same time, in the evenings and on the weekends, I was working on this story with my mother. And um, in the earlier segment, I, I sort of talked about, about her history, um, growing up um, uh, Catholic uh, as a Jewish girl and, and that impact uh, it had on her. Um, the The... the Sort of the second part of the book uh, goes on more of a spiritual journey. So in in midlife, uh, she has sort of this, um, uh, she has a couple of experiences that are just really um, amazing sort of uh, outworldly experiences. And she she eventually, she didn't even want to share them with me, but eventually she does. And um, to her surprise, and maybe even to mine, considering how rational I am, um, I just said, you know, this is what you see or this is what you hear, and and I believe it. Um and also in my own writing, I found myself, uh she would she would um kind of dictate uh, her thoughts or or her ideas to me and I would transcribe them and then I would write a little bit ahead. And the amazing thing between us is sometimes I would write things well before she would even uh, note them herself. So we found this amazing, um, synchronicity together. That was, that was incredible. Um, I'd say that there was, um, you know, one major point of tension between us. And I think that relates to some of the, uh, the topic that we're going to talk about, which is tolerance and intolerance. Um, when you're doing a memoir, when you're doing a biography, there are a lot of things in people's life and not everything is rosy. Not everything is good. (laughs) There are not
1: everything is relevant.
0: And not everything is relevant. So that sometimes there's, there are some important people in your life that maybe weren't so good to you or, or, or not so kind or did some unkind things. How do you write about that? Or how do you think about that? Um, and well, especially want,
1: if some of those people are still alive.
0: Uh, that's right. And um, being the lawyer that I was, you know, I, I wanted the facts, right? Just the facts. <laughs> I wanted to sort of report things as, as I either remembered them or as, or as I knew them. Uh, and my mother wasn't wasn't that eager. It's not because she was being untruthful. It's because she would tell me that's not the way she, th- she sees things now. As she went along the spiritual journey that's described in the book, it was amazing to me how she could view something that might have been so hurtful and view it even with love. Um, she only felt love. And that was just that was just a an eye opener for me. And it, it it sort of gave me hope to think that there are many people who who view a colleague or a parent or a relative or anything in their life, you know, with such bitter, negative memories. Um, and how can you reframe that? Because I saw her, uh, my mother was never bitter about her experiences. She is a, she's a, a woman in peace with great love. And that is, that is an amazing blessing to me and something for for all of us to learn. I think that's one of the reasons that I wrote the book.
1: Well, and I will back you up on that. I have met her in person and how, you know, I've met a lot of people Mitchell in my, you know, television and radio career and my writing career and you know, I've lived all over the world, so it's not like I haven't met a lot of people. And the idea that your mother can come through her life story which is a lot of included in the the book the rose temple um how she could not come out bitter and angry and resentful and frustrated and and just give up and yet you find like and i say this again it's like this little slip of paper she's this little tiny woman who has such is such joy and power and, and friendship and love and compassion. I mean she's just this good little package that you know is to me unbelievable when I look at some of my peers who are like in their 40s second career and they're so bitter and they're so unhappy and they have, haven't even gone through a fifth of what your mom went through.
0: Well, uh, I think it's it's cause for all of us and it was cause for me to, to take a pause. To say, you know, what's important in life? What are we doing? What is our meaning? Um, you know, I think that hopefully if we're finding meaning in what we do um, and how we're, what choices we're making every day in our life, uh, that's going to make a huge difference. Um, and who you were yesterday uh, doesn't have to be who you are today or who you're going to be tomorrow.
1: Well and that's I mean that right there like if you don't take anything away from today's show you know then just tune in to somebody else and shut us off because that is so huge you know we reinvent ourselves every day as 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 parents as co-workers as company owners as stay-at-home entrepreneurs or mompreneurs or or telecommuters for large aerospace companies we know you're listening because we can see you log in um We won't tell your boss, but all of the things that we do every day change us. They can make us better or they can make us worse. And we're in a constant state of reinvention if we are alive. And one of the things that I hold on to, Mitchell, because sometimes I'll do a show and then two years later, I'll do a show at the same topic. And invariably, there's somebody who heard both shows and decides to write me an email or put a post up to me and say, well, you know, in 2013, you said this and it's now 2016. And now you're saying this. You contradicted yourself. Well, it's not contradiction. It's like when we know better, we do better. And a lot of the messages in your mom's book or your your book that was written about your mom's experiences fall into that category when we know better, we do better. When we when we open our eyes to some of this stuff, and some of that is has to do with tolerance. And I I don't like the word tolerance because it's bandied about in the media and it's it's like something that's for like other countries to deal with, or it's 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 like something far removed from us. And one of the things that happens with especially our listenership is a lot of us work remotely. We work from home. We work in our home offices. We might work for a large company, small company, or our own company, and we don't interact with people except on the telephone and the email and maybe a Skype or a GoToMeeting or a Cisco meeting and it's hard to think about us being intolerant,
0: but yet we are. So, so let's talk about that for a moment. Let's talk about, you know, first tolerance and then, and then intolerance. So, you know, I see tolerance as sort of the, the low bar. Um, what does that mean to be tolerant of one another? You can be tolerant with a neighbor that maybe you don't care for. You can be tolerant of a relative. Uh, you can be tolerant of your coworker that you haven't seen that's bugging you with an email or a boss (laughs) that's, that's driving you crazy. There are, you know, tolerance is sort of one level that's a low bar. Um, Sort of the most more insidious level is intolerance. Um, And that's where I think we get into trouble. Um, We get into trouble in the school place. We can get in trouble in the workplace. We can get in trouble anywhere in life with, with intolerance. And that is when there's conflict uh, sort of uh, uh, sort of escalating that conflict into name calling, into labeling. Oh, that person did this because uh, he's Asian, or that person did that because they're Jewish, whatever it might be, or that, or that, or African American. Um, sort of these different labels and these these different negative thoughts that can really impede our product productivity and our and our well being, and that certainly crosses into the workplace as well as any other place.
1: Well, absolutely. And, you know, we, I used to teach this class at USC, uh, like 15 years ago where we had, and they might still teach it today. I don't know. Um, but we were learning about our like intolerances and our prejudices. And, you know, there was a plane and, and we were all on a plane and the plane was going to crash. And there were like, 10 people on the plane and we could only save four of them and everyone had a different combination of traits whether it was race religion contribution to the world uh, whether they were parents or grandparents and age you know all these things that we kind of make judgments on and value judgments on that can lead to really big fat intolerance you know whether they were gay or straight whether they were jewish catholic muslim or christian muslim whether they were black white or yellow you know it was a, 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 an amazing combination, and I taught this class, Mitchell, in the, um, the pre-MBA program, and they, we had students from all over the world, and some cultures had a really hard time with making this decision. A, some didn't want to play God, but B, a lot of them had such deeply rooted prejudices or intolerances to groups of people, they, they, they wanted them all dead. Because each one of them had some hot-button issue, at least that was kind of a community hot-button issue, so nobody was easily saved and no one was easily lost.
0: Um, right. I mean, it is, it, it is, it is totally destructive. Intolerance, um, you know, to put it very simply, is, makes no sense. It's, it's nonsensical. It's not, it's not productive. Um, imagine the Israelis and the Palestinians um, and, and the Arab world, if they got along. It's, it's, the the area is rich in resources. Um, they could be working together and, and develop. Instead, instead, there's this conflict and fighting, and it, it, gets, uh, it gets people nowhere. So, so it, just, it doesn't make sense economically. It doesn't make sense ethically. It doesn't make sense from a happiness perspective. Um, and it
1: doesn't make sense energetically. We all have the same hours in the day. We all have the same amount of energy, give or take. And if we spend our days fighting and arguing and dismissing and, and being intolerant, we use up all our energy when we could be being productive in our day. So We're here today on Coach Talk Radio with Mitchell Weitzman. The book of the hour is The Rose Temple, and we're talking about tolerance, intolerance. We're talking about some of these things that really impede our workday and and that if we kind of be aware of them, which is why I brought up that example of the airplane, if we can start being aware of our own intolerances and our own prejudices, because trust me, they sneak up on you and you're not even aware of them sometimes. These things affect our monetary day. They affect our emotional day. They affect our family and friends. And most importantly, they affect us. And we want to know better and do better after every episode of Coach Talk Radio. We'll be back again after the break with Mitchell Weissman and therosetemple.com.
0: It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond.
3: To lose weight, we know that each day we need to burn more calories than we take in through eating, and exercise burns more calories. According to Discovery Health, a 150-pound person will burn about 60 calories while taking a one-hour nap. One hour of sitting and watching television burns about the same. But if that 150-pound person takes a one-hour brisk walk, and say goodbye to more than 250 calories. Cardio exercise like running, biking, swimming, and brisk walking are the best modes of exercise to burn the highest amount of calories and will get the endorphins flowing in your body. Those feel-good neurotransmitters boost your mood naturally. So use exercise to burn calories, lose weight, and to feel good. I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. It's you
0: never heard.
2: You've heard of the five-second rule, you know, where if you spill some food on the floor and manage to snatch it up within five seconds, it's okay to eat. But is it really safe? According to experiments by WebMD, all food that falls on the floor gathers bacteria, no matter how quickly it's picked up. It does help, however, if both the floor is clean and the food is dry. But if you spill some maw wallop, that's messy food like a chili dog or spaghetti, you should think twice before snuffing it up and eating it. I think plain old rumble gumption should tell us to forget the five-second rule and just consider any food that hits the floor kagmeg or unfit for human consumption. At my house, if any food should fall on the floor while we're eating, you can bet our dog's gonna get it within five seconds anyway. It's words you words. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my new app, Too Funny for Words.
1: Hey guys and dolls, this is Sandra Beck and I'm here today with Mitchell Weissman and the book of the hour is The Rose Temple. You can find it on Amazon. You can find it at therosetemple.com. Now, for those of you that liked the first half of today's show, you can find us on iTunes. You can find us on coachtalkradioshow.com. You can also find us on our host station, thank you, out of Texas, TogiNet. that's T-O-G-I-N-E-T.com. Now, when we went to break, we were talking a little bit about tolerance and intolerance and exploring our own intolerance and how intolerance can make our days less productive. Because as work at home, you know, telecommuting, company owners that are in their own environment, we have to really be our own bosses in a lot of respects. And we might be working with virtual businesses or virtual assistants or virtual co-workers around the globe. I mean, that's very natural. It's like Mitchell, when I started my my company, you know, whatever it was, 13 years ago now, maybe 14, 14 years ago now, I was working mostly in the United States and Canada. Now, in a very average typical day, I talk to Israel, I talk to um, I talk to England, I talk to Australia, you're in Baltimore, I the radio station is Texas, I'm in Los Angeles. This is the state of business today, truly.
0: Yeah. Um, and, and you know, sort of sort of to go back, back where I came from, I came from, I mean, my graduating class in high school was 10. I, I graduated from a class of 10, a small little Orthodox Jewish day school. Since then, I've been in, you know, several jobs um, and with tremendously diverse workplaces. I've teleworked, I've worked in the office um, with all sorts of people. So um, it's, it's, and you know I guess I'm amazed that I've been able to do that because it, it, it could have been so easy to sort of um, you know be in one world be in one small little world but i I value the exposure that I've gotten to sort of the bigger universe um, even internationally um, it, it's it's um, incredible and I treasure it not that there's not conflict, not that I haven't had difficult situations like we all have um, but I think it's important to 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 connect, to not, not, you know, sort of take a step back. If you're going to label someone, if you're having a call with somebody who's different from you or a different background, you know, just acknowledge that for a moment because you may be coming from a different perspective. You have a different narrative and he or she has a different narrative. Um, and you all bring, you bring all of that to the table. We're not just robots who show up to work (laughs) or, or show up in front of our computer. We have backgrounds and histories and, and thoughts and desires. And, uh, So much of that sometimes is lost um, in our fast paced, uh, fast paced business world today.
1: It is, it is. And, And, you know, when we talk about tolerance and intolerance, what does that really mean? I mean, we hear it a lot in the news. We hear it a lot in like I hear it in church. You know, my I hear it in temple. I hear all these different people talking about tolerance or even more importantly, intolerance. How would you define it? For somebody in the workplace, like if you were teaching a corporate seminar, uh, what, what would you tell people about intolerance?
0: And I have, I've actually trained some sales folks, so I, so I have done that. Um, uh, you know, I would say the, the, the number one rule, actually you would tell any salesperson, the number one rule is to understand, uh, understand your audience. I remember that, um, and this is, I remember a pharmaceutical sales rep told me this, and um, He told me that if he is um, uh, pitching to somebody who is shorter than he is, much shorter, he'll make sure that when he's talking to him, he's not standing up on some high chair. He goes down to his level so that they can see eye to eye. I mean, just that little gesture says so much, you know, it's understanding somebody, relating to them. Um, That's huge. So it's about respecting differences. It's about trying to understand somebody's differences. Um that salesperson, by the way, was you know got an award or a huge bonus for being the most productive in his company. not a surprise. so so you know that's that's the best example I can think of um, uh, in terms of tolerance. Of course, intolerance is just the opposite. you know it's um, I know that my father in law, for example, um, he, he was also a salesman, and um, his his boss did not like Jews, um, and so he had to He had to observe holidays and do all these sorts of things to sort of hide it from him. He had to hide his Jewishness. Um, And, you know, what, what a waste that is. Um, His company eventually went under when, when uh, my father-in-law retired, but it could have done so well. It was, it was, it was an economic loss to him. So it made no sense. Intolerance makes no sense. No, it
1: really doesn't. You know, it's, it's, it, it doesn't make any sense because at the end of the day, all money is green and we're not talking about, you know, making a difference. Uh, you know, like making value judgments because someone is has been awful to us personally. You know, I get it when somebody's awful to me, a lot of times they just go on my do not call back list. I, I don't want to deal with them. And you know, if it's worth trying to repair the relationship for a business standpoint, I will. But the cost to doing business is already so high that inviting people in who are obnoxious or time-consuming or frustrating you know just isn't worth it but to rule people out because you they belong to some race or religion or group to me is just counterproductive to free economic
0: enterprise so so yeah i I want to get real for a moment because sometimes i feel like when you're talking about tolerance um i feel like people sometimes sort of roll their eyes you know uh, here goes uh, here goes just glaze a th- over. Right. Here we go. It's another, goes, you know, blah. Is a rah-rah session, and I'm just not a rah-rah person. <laughs> so, you know, I'm a lawyer. I'm rational. Um, and so I want to talk about tolerance. Um, I've been in workplaces where I see clusters of people gathered together and form cliques. So I've seen that with African-Americans. I've seen that with Asians. I've seen that uh, with, with, you know, Jewish people myself. So. Um and there's these little clicks and so expecting us to all get a you know get along and and to socialize and 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 do all these kinds of things, that's that's not what I'm referring to. Um, you know we're not going to stop that. you know we generally like to be in our comfort zone. What I'm saying is um, that if you can step out of your comfort zone once in a while, it's only going to be to your benefit to learn more about somebody's culture and and the way somebody does business or the way they um, you know, the way they do things or their background, that's, that's going to be, it's going to open your world. So it, it benefits you. Um, it's not, it's not, you know, sort of a la-di-da thing. There's a real tangible benefit to your life, I think, by doing that.
1: Well, and it opens up markets, you know, one of the things that happens, especially after you've been in sales, or you've been (coughs) working in marketing into in a certain, you know, a, a certain area is that you're always looking for new markets. And if you can, if you can open your eyes, open your hearts, open your experience to learn some of these different cultures, and some of these different religions or even languages, you know, it's really neat to have that for your company, because now instead of serving a certain population, you serve a huge population and everybody wins.
0: And markets and solutions. There's, you know, business is all about problems and solutions. Right. And everybody wants to solve a problem solver. And, and, you know, that that problem may be solved by somebody well outside of your comfort zone or outside of your group, and you're missing that um, if you're not at least a little bit tuned in to, to, to the way somebody is thinking. So, so, so there's the benefit uh, to that. But again, you know, sort of to go back to intolerance, which is the dark side of all this. What happens when things get really bad in the workplace? Uh, you know, what happens if there's, uh, you know, somebody is labeling you or there's a... a You know, something racially is said or or whatever it is. It's just, uh, you know, when it devolves into that, Um, you know, for that, I would say uh, we often don't cite this in in the world. We're too busy looking at the news and the news cycle. But I think there's the golden rule that we should all remember, and that is uh, treating others the way that you want to be treated. That golden rule uh, uh, is applicable in all religions, Judaism, Christianity, Buddhism, um, Islam—everybody has a version of that golden rule—and you know there's obviously a reason for that. Um, it's a good rule and one that we should all live by.
1: Well, and one of the fun things, like, you know, I'm just going to say, one of my girlfriends works for a doll company, and I'm not going to name the doll company, but she shared with me that they purposely made this set of dolls to not fall into any kind of racial, religious, anything stereotype. So the doll might have green eyes and a certain set of features and a certain type of hair and a certain body shape. And it was really fun, you know, when she was working on this project, because the whole point was was to baffle the buying public on what was this doll. This doll was a composite. And I look at my, one of my son's friends, you know, she's got in her grandparents. Cause I, I asked her one time, I'm like, you are so cool looking. Like, I just love the way you look. What, what's your, your background? And she's like, she's got a father who was black and African-American. She's got a mother who was Hispanic and Asian. So she's got these four mixes in there. And I'm like, she said something really profound to me, Mitchell, when she was about in third or fourth grade, she was in the science club and I was volunteering there. She said, you know, Miss Sandra, I don't look like any of the dolls ever. So I just decided I had to like myself and people have to like me the way I am. And I thought like, wow, out of the mouths of babes, you know, there's going to come a point, Mitchell, where it's going to be really hard for us to apply labels to people. And I look forward to that day because the labels are stupid. The labels are limiting. The labels are hurtful. And the labels are not what you want to bring into your workplace or your household. We've got about two minutes before break. I love your comment on that story.
0: Uh, That's absolutely right. You know, I was actually thinking, as you were saying, I actually want to go back to why is this so important, and and why is this not just you know we're all busy um, with our emails and our day, and why are we talking about tolerance and intolerance? Who's got time for this, right? Right.
1: Well, we don't have time for it right now. We're going to go to commercial break. But I promise you, when we come back from break, we will talk about why this discussion of tolerance slash intolerance is so important. We're visiting today with Mitchell Weissman. The book of the hour is The Rose Temple. Now, you can find this on Amazon. You can also go to the rosetemple.com. You're not going to be disappointed picking up this book. This is a great airplane read. I've got to tell you, taking this book with you on the airplane, you know, you will eat up a five six hour flight in no time and enjoy every minute of it and it'll give you things to think about it will grow you in ways you can't imagine when we come back from the break we're going to talk to mitchell just about why why even talk about tolerance or intolerance who cares what does it have to do with me we'll be back after the break
2: years ago, some fishermen off the coast of Italy discovered some pottery along with fish in their nets. Divers were called out and discovered an ancient Roman ship whose galley or caboose, a nautical term for kitchen, was extremely intact. Some of the food uncovered on board was pickled fish, wine, oil, and grain used to make the ship's biscuits, otherwise known as dandy funks. It is thought the 2,000-year-old boat was probably on its way to Spain when it sunk and was covered by layers of mud, baggy wrinkles and all. Baggy wrinkles are another name for the ship's ropes. The mud protected the ship from wear, explaining why the leftover food on board was still in such good condition. We land lovers may not be familiar with leftovers on the sea, but we are familiar with leftovers in our kitchen. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words-you-never-heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Word.
0: It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond.
3: In this day and age, eating at home has become more difficult. Harvard Medical School offers tips for healthy eating away from home to keep you on track with your healthy, low-calorie eating. When ordering at a restaurant, ask how the food is prepared, as this will help you make appropriate choices. Look for less by choosing lean meats and lower-calorie choices. Practice portion control, and if the portion is too big, don't be afraid to ask for a doggy bag instead of eating it all. Order an extra side of vegetables and fill up on those first. Do your research before you go to the restaurant. Most menus and nutritional information are online, and you can check before you go. They say that by following these simple tips, you can make your dining experience as healthy as it is enjoyable. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond.
1: Guys and dolls, this is Sandra Beck, and we are visiting today with Mitchell Weissman. Now, the book of the hour is called The Rose Temple. You can find out more about it at therosetemple.com. But Mitchell, we're going to ask the million-dollar question about talking about tolerance and intolerance. I'm just going to say it. Who cares?
0: So, and, and that's exactly right. And to answer that question, I, I want to take your listeners uh, back into history for a moment. Um, I want to go back. Uh, like I said in the beginning of the show, um, I was born with sort of this burden on my shoulder. I want to go back to that period. Um, so we're in 1930s Poland. All right. It could be anywhere. It could be anywhere today. But let's go back to 1930s Poland. We have Poles and Jews um, who are who are who are maybe neighbors living close to each other. They're at the marketplace. Um Jewish people don't really know the Polish people. The Polish people don't really know the Jewish people. They each have an image of the others, a thought of the others. Um, they're, 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 to, they're physically in the same place, but they're not very interconnected. Um, and the Poles have a certain thought about the Jewish people and why they are. Um, and there's there's some history back there right their parents were taught that and their parents parents were taught that there's some la- some labels some some imaginations and they they kind of stopped seeing them as as people and as humans and um, you know and why is that that's that's the lack of interconnectedness that devolves into the problem that we had and we had we had a problem where I lost my great-grandparents, uh, most of my family, to to something that was uh, unprecedented, and so this is not just a minor topic.
1: Um, and it wasn't an illness, it wasn't uh, alcoholism, it wasn't foolishness; it was the Holocaust.
0: That's right. So it's not it's it's no small thing. It's no small thing that we can't stop and think today about the choices that we make about the people that we interact with. We we pass them on our bus stops. We we see them. Um, we encounter them at at mcdonald's and at service stations all sorts of all sorts of people that that we see and that we interact with and um you know maybe most of them are just mundane but maybe one day there's a choice to be made and what choice is that going to be um and and that choice is likely to affect another choice um and it could affect that in a positive or negative manner so that's why this this um this show and this topic is so important well, and
1: every choice we make causes a change, it causes a ripple effect. It's it's like dominoes, you know, we can choose to participate in something with an open heart and be welcoming to people and expand our sphere of influence. We can choose to be closed off and we can choose to follow our prejudice or our, not examine our own beliefs about human beings and stay closed off and go down a road that's very different. So, we need to be cognizant, Mitchell, not only of these things, but to be cognizant of our own thoughts and that we make choices every single day and kind of wake up from this unconscious behavior because the stories that are in your book a lot of times, they're unconscious behaviors based on what they were taught as kids. They blindly followed it, right or wrong, and then that that resulted in their actions. So thinking about our thoughts and thinking about that every single thing we do is a choice and a choice has consequences and a choice results in different paths.
0: So, so that's right. So it's, it's, it's not, it's not something that's irrelevant or it's not even history. Um, We see it every day today um, in our society. Um, So it's, so it's very relevant and it needs, and we need to be aware of it. And, you know, that's, you know, on the, on the positive side, it could make our lives even better uh, if we're more, um, if we're more interconnected and learn more. So, You know, on my bookshelf, um, for example, I have I have books from from different cultures that I learn about, and when I read them, it just amazes me. And one of the things that really amazes me is, hey, they're just like me; (laughs) they want the same things. Um, Well, and I
1: just want to share a story real quick, Mitchell. Um, We met this summer. We met this summer when your family was out enjoying Los Angeles and I live in Los Angeles. So I packed up my two kids. You know, we've got our Polish German background and, you know, their Jewish father. And then you've got your Polish, I don't know, I think Polish German Polish background. And we meet in Los Angeles, people from other parts of the country, heritage, other parts of the world, two different major religions at the table. We had a ball. We had so much fun. Our kids had fun. Our kids were range in age. What's Paula's 19? Joshua's 15?
0: Uh, Paula is 18. Joshua is 15. Yep.
1: 15. Okay. And then Max is 13 and Zach is is. Well, now he's 10. He was nine at the time. So we kind of really spanned the ages and spanned. And we all sat down at this table in this fun restaurant. We were there for hours having a good time. Then we went to Universal City Walk and the kids danced on the big screen. And we just had a wonderful time. There was no race there. There was no religion. There was no age. There were no barriers. There were just, what, six people, seven people having a great time.
0: That's right. And and my son's a musician and uh, he he um, collaborates with and plays with, um, you know, we're out in the Baltimore suburbs and he lives in the city. Um, And yet there they are together um, playing playing guitar and piano and drums and composing songs and living music. It's it's an amazing thing to see um, because, you know, one would think that, you know, 30, 40 years ago, you'd never see that. Um, No. Well,
1: and one of the things that I found, like, you know, my company is a tech company. So, you know, we work in technology, computer technology. And so there is no way my company could survive if you didn't open yourself up to other cultures. Because programmers come from Australia. They come from Afghanistan. They come from India. They come from Canada. Like, who knows? Who's got the solution? And we put it up on these global job boards. And when I first started working, Mitchell, I used to go by SJ. I didn't go by Sandra Beck. I didn't go by Sandra. I didn't identify myself as a, a woman because I know in certain cultures, they won't talk to me. They won't interact with me. But I went by SJ. My my name is Sandra Jean. So I go by SJ. All of a sudden, doors opened. How silly is that and how far we need to come because that was only five years ago that I stopped using SJ.
0: Sounds like a JK Rowling situation.
1: Well there you go the the woman who wrote Harry Potter she's she's unisex she's not male or female she's not anything she's got a last name There you go. I mean, we really need to get to that point because our brains are what are most important, our hearts and what we can do. Not what we look like, not what religion we practice, not what what anything we are other than there to collaborate and bring our talents. Imagine if we brought our talents to the table first and not this other stuff. What could we create in the world?
0: So, so that's right. So, I would tell your audience, especially those who are teleworking, which can be, you know, pretty pretty lonely affair sometimes. Um, and if they've got a client, one thing they could do, just instead of learning about the client's needs or wants, maybe learn a little bit more about the client's background. It might really enrich their relationship.
1: Well, and I will tell you from a health standpoint, this is where it's really fun to work in a global community. If I have just say like a headache, Mitchell, let's just put this out on the table. If I send out an email to 10 different people in my sphere of influence, 10 different cultures, 10 different countries, 10 different beliefs, I don't even know half the time what the beliefs are, you know, true beliefs are, because we can never really know. But I will get 10 different responses of what to do for that headache. You know, do I take a drug? Do I drink a Diet Coke? Do I lay down? Do I do a meditation? Uh, You know, do I take a nap? Do I walk in the park? Do, Do I do this chanting? I mean, it's amazing. And when you think of just a simple headache remedy, what can you do in solutions for big problems if you open it up to global thinking? That's where the big excitement comes in my world.
0: Absolutely. Um, it's, it is like we, like we've been saying it, it's not only the right thing to do, but it benefits you personally.
1: Well, yeah, because without it, you know, I come from a small town outside of Buffalo. Let's say I had stayed there and let's say I had stayed just where I was at that point in time. I never would have had a massage. I never would have had Reiki. I never would have had acupuncture. You used to see me, Mitchell, I look like Hellraiser with all these pins in my face. But <laughs> the point being is I was open to trying it. I was opening to, to, to to experiencing it. And as a result, I have such a rich experience. And I'm not putting down small people, small town people at all. I am a small town girl. But what I'm saying is we have the first time in history to open ourselves up globally to other like-minded, individuals who have hearts like ours, different talents, different looks, different beliefs, different practices,
0: but we can really gain a lot. Right, and and so if if you're out there thinking, you know, I've never met a Jewish person before and I know that Jewish people are going to be like X, um, find out a little bit more. Find out, if you heard about a stereotype, maybe learn. Where did that come from? What's the history? What's the background? Um, For that stereotype, just that little bit of knowledge, it will, will, um you know, enhance that relationship and make you understand.
1: Right, because a lot of it is like that telephone game we play as kids, you know, where we whisper something somebody in somebody's ear a story, then it's got to go around the circle. And by the time it gets to the person who said it, you know, we all laugh because it's so different. A lot of those prejudices, a lot of those things, are not held true today. And an, and the other thing too, Mitchell, and I'll just say this before we we end the show: people intermarry, people have kids like my kids w- who are crossed between two great major religions. they are crosses between different heritages and countries, and and it's great. It's 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 amazing, and we have this great opportunity. So, what box are you going to put them in? You know, and as we grow as a people, and we all get together, hopefully.
0: Hopefully we'll get to a point where there are no more boxes. Um, that, that would be nice. But until then, I would say, even if you disagree, I mean, we're not all going to agree. We're, we're going to have a lot of different opinions. Um, but at least, you know, respect somebody's right to have that opinion and respect somebody's, you know, right to be who they are, as long as they're not hurting you.
1: Right. And, you know, I did a show uh, with Dr. Teal recently, and he said something really profound that I'll leave the audience with. He said, you can disagree. He goes, you can each have your own viewpoints. But he said, when you have the discussion, make sure that everybody walks away from that discussion feeling okay as a human being. Yes, maybe their eyes are opened, but we don't attack people. We don't make it personal. We don't make it hurtful. If we can just have an experience to talk about things and leave each other's self-esteem intact, then we can learn and grow and we can embrace our differences rather than it becoming a challenge or a power play.
0: One thing I saw on a bumper sticker I have to share, this, this, could be, this could end it for me, um, don't believe everything you think.
1: That's a great one. Mitchell Weitzman, Don't Believe Everything You Think, com. We'll be back again next week with another thought-provoking episode of Coach Talk Radio.
0: Thank you for listening. On behalf of Sandra Beck, we want you to get out there today to make more money with less time and effort so you can live the life you want. Tune in next week for more tips, tricks, and techniques from Coach Talk Radio.